Welcome back to Web3 Unpacked, everyone. I'm Rich Pasqua, and joining us today is Colin Butler, Global Head of Institutional Capital at Polygon, where he heads up onboarding major TradFi institutions onto the Polygon network, be it for tokenized products or to benefit from the from blockchain technology in general. Welcome, Colin. Thank you very much, Rich. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited to have you and and Polygon on and, you know, and representing. So, uh, you know, truth be told, I think I mentioned this before, I am a, a bit of a, you know, a fan of Polygon. I mean, who, who you can't, you know, who can't be these days, uh, you're everywhere. Um, and um, really experiencing some major, major growth. Um, and with that said, you know, onboarding is the name of the game in Web3, right? I mean, that's really a, a big part of what you do every day. Um, and you've got an interesting background, you know, having worked with um, Cognitive Labs AI. Um, you've been on the business development end of many, many companies. And you've been involved in various wealth management firms as well. So I, I think that's a nice collection of experiences. Thank so, you. Yeah, I'd, I'd say uh, it's particularly valu valuable at the moment, given that a lot of traditional finance is coming into blockchain. So that regulated experience is actually really key at this point in the, in the evolution of the, the technology and the industry. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And we're, that's kind of the, the uh, nuts and bolts of this conversation is you know, the onboarding process and the benefits of it. We're going to get into more details on that for sure. Um, Colin, but we have a little bit of a tradition here. Um, we always like to know how, you know, founders and technologists and innovators get their start in Web3. What was your journey like? Yeah, I always say I have a little bit of a weird one. So I was, you could call it almost anti-crypto in 2017, 2018, 2019. Like those were the hot years, I think, that that the people that were true visionaries were really going in deep. But I I was an outsider. I was what we would probably call a normie. And I heard people like Jamie Dimon and Nuru Albini, people that I trusted uh, and still trust. And my impression of, of the space, just from my perspective at the time, was... I don't know. Like there seems to be a lot of fraud. It seems to be hit or miss. I'm not, it's unclear the utility value of the tech. And so I was getting these calls. I was, I was running business development at a, hedge, at a hedge fund at the time. And I was getting these phone calls from other hedge funds and they said, come over and lead business development for our crypto fund. And at the time I was like, absolutely not. Like great way to torpedo your career. I, I don't want to come, you know, limping back to Wall Street, tail between my legs two years from now, having tried my crypto experiment. And then I think what really um, changed everything for me was in 2021, I had a friend coming over to the dark side. He was going to work for a crypto hedge fund. And that's kind of the, I think, the natural transition for people in, in traditional finance, right? It's some sort of investment, ex-crypto type of thing. And so I said, man, yeah, same thing, right? Good luck with your career, but uh, tell me your thesis. And so he got into it a little bit. He said, well, first off, the highest performing crypto fund was up 12,000% last year. I was like, wait a second, what are you talking? And, you know, you must have missed a couple of zeros there. Um, and then pretty shortly thereafter, I, you know, I started reading things like the Bitcoin standard and I saw the Netflix special, right? The Cryptopians or whatever it is. And so you you come to this idea, you know, getting red pilled, right? It's it's like it's counterintuitive until it's completely intuitive. It it makes no sense until it makes all the sense in the world. 
And I think over a very short period of time, it was essentially like every shred of my being felt like it needed to enter this industry because I'd internalized the idea that this concept, blockchain technology, would change everything. And that's really when I when I made my shift from full-time, call it traditional finance, to full-time blockchain. Yeah, and it, it, you know your journey is is very similar to uh, to many others, right? You, you you kind of look into it. You have a friend or a group of friends that are starting to explore it. You start to read the white papers. You listen to more interviews, and uh, whammo, there you go. Uh, you're you're pulled in, and there is that. To your point, there is that turning point for everyone where your the light bulbs just go on. And you really start to see opportunities and it's not all financial opportunities. It's opportunities to better humanity, actually. Um, And that's part of why I'm into it. And, and, um, you know, the finance end of it, it's great. And I've been in for a while Um, and, and you know, but you really can make change. And if you're an entrepreneur and innovator, you really can push forward and do something special in a very different way. Um, so it's all very exciting. Um, our audience is obviously hooked on it. Um, but I always like to, to kind of bring up people's past because sometimes it's very different. Sometimes it's very similar. And it's always good to see everyone's journeys, of course. Um, so for our listeners who may, you know, uh, obviously you You'd have to be living under a rock if you've never heard of Polygon. Um, but can, for our listeners who kind of, you know, can you get us up to speed on Polygon's core mission and focus? So Polygon is an Ethereum scaling solution at its core. The mission has always been the same, but the way that it's been executed changes over time with each generation of technological improvement. So originally Polygon started as, call it an Ethereum sidechain. It was was a proof of stake chain and it worked really well. It was very easy to use. It was very developer friendly. It gained a lot of adoption. Uh, But over time, the founders of Polygon realized that that wasn't the end. That wasn't how we could get this technology into the hands of the most people, the most effectively and efficiently. And over time, that really became, I actually think the whole community really aligned on the idea that that technology would be zero knowledge technology. And so a couple of years ago, Polygon made some massive, massive investments into the best uh, ZK zero knowledge protocols out there. And the the investment was around a billion dollars. I mean, it was it was really significant commitment with the vision that this was the technology that could ultimately, I think about it in terms of creating the TCP IP and blockchain, like it's a grand vision. And I think with what's happening in with Polygon 2.0 and and what we call CDK, the chain development kit, that vision is becoming closer and closer to being realized because the technology has matured in such a way that I think for the first time, you've got a shot at using Ethereum as a global settlement layer, but really having two things. And those are unlimited scalability for the blockchain and unified liquidity. And that's really based on the, the zero knowledge um, thesis and zero knowledge tech. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's great. And, you know, for anyone who wants to learn more uh, about the Polygon network, um, we strongly suggest you go and, and look at it uh, for business solutions and, and investment as well. 
Um, <clears throat> okay, good. So, you know, ultimately your role is, is sales and adoption, right? So you have to convince tons of really smart people in traditional finance on why this is a better solution. Um, for guys like you and I, we're like, okay, um, it shouldn't be a sales pitch. It should just be, you know, everyone's migrating into it. But people, it's really interesting to see some of the challenges that you may go through. Um, what would you say are some of the differences between traditional sales and sales for a Web3 company? Yeah, I think in traditional sales, you're looking to close. You have a target. There's a dollar amount associated. What I do in, in Web3 is, I would say, wildly different. And, and first off, I would even step back. The sales process, getting people aligned that this is a disruptive technology that they should all implement, that was actually done before I came to the blockchain industry. So I came about two years ago. I think the people working in the industry in 2017 and 18 and 19 and 2020, they did the majority of the heavy lift. So the reality is, just I want to give credit where credit is due. The reality is I came along and people were already ready for the technology. So, so that's one idea is the heavy lift has already been done. And the second I, I would suggest to the audience is that it's more a function of education. It's somebody comes to us and says, listen, we want to use Polygon as our infrastructure layer. Can you help me understand this part or that part? Or can you help me get a little bit more of an allocation of resources from the core team to help us solve the problems that we, that we see right now? So it's almost... If you were going to call it sales, you would call it consultative sales. Um, but the reality is it's more of a situation where you need to create credibility, where they feel like they it's not this, you, you know, I think us in the space want to say, oh, it's this free open source technology that you can use. But if you're a large enterprise or, or a large organization, you actually think, no, I really want someone to call in a pinch, someone that has that I that I trust to have vetted this technology. And that is really on the hook uh, if what I've heard isn't, isn't correct. So on the institutional capital team, we are that liaison. The large institutions, the large global institutions out there can actually call us in the way that they expect to be able to call IBM or Amazon or Microsoft when something is, is working in a way that they didn't see and give them the reassurance that, yes, like this is actually an enterprise-grade technology, even though it's kind of like Linux, right? It's, it's really free to everybody and open source. But at the same time, there are people here, real people supporting this thing and essentially standing by it uh, as a technology that you can rely on. And, and so I think that's a core, uh, a core mission of the team is to provide that call it accessibility and, and kind of credibility for the ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, it, I consider it early days, even though, you know, a lot of the foundational elements were set up before you even got into the doors of uh, Polygon. Uh, but it is it's always an education, right? Whether it's your your family member or neighbor who's interested in it. And hey, hey Rich or, you know, Colin, uh, what's this thing about? Or it's a major company, right? Yeah, always. And I like your term. Uh, um, educational consultation, um, it, you know, or, you know, the whole cons consultation portion of it um, is a big part of your sales uh, process. Uh, and it's, it's, it, that's everything. And you do, it's interesting because a lot of, 
Web3 protocols are like, oh, we'll build it. And our our team is kind of, you know, acronyms and, uh, you know, handles across uh, Discord and, and other networks. But ultimately, when you're dealing with large financial institutions, they, to your point, they want to know that you have their back. You can call them in a pinch and, you know, their query is satisfied. Um, so that's great. And, you know, you, we all know like you're, you're onboarding traditional finance. We see it every single day, right? Um, within the finance world, who is the core demographic? I would say there's three major players. One would be large investment managers. The second would be banks. And the third would be the infrastructure and the backbone. And that question is a great question, but there is so much to unpack because within each of these three demographics, there's probably about 10 to 15 things that I could talk about as, for as much time as you have uh, as to why each of these three constituents are coming on. Mm. Well, and that, that leads me to the other thought is why, and again, this is kind of you know a higher level question, why would a banks and financial institution want to tokenize their assets? So there, there's three major items there. One would be cost savings. Two would be additional revenues. And three would be de-risking uh, your, your portfolio or your issuance process. And just to give a really quick, to make that less abstract for people, as a concrete example, you could think of and I'll just use public, uh, publicly announced, call it Polygon affiliated or, or collaborations. If you think of the idea that Franklin Templeton comes on chain with their money market fund, right, with Benji, they would say, we are going to save X percent in costs and we can pass that along to the consumer over time. So it, it's very helpful in terms of their competitive position vis-a-vis -vis their peers and from their, just a fiduciary perspective to their shareholders, right? Cost savings, always good. And this is, this is a great way to save costs at scale, given that they're $1.4 trillion institution, right? So even, even small cost, cost savings, which I would actually consider these are fairly large, even small cost savings are very, very important. So that's one benefit of the blockchain for the large investment managers. In terms of revenue generation, there's a massive shift taking place right now in the alternative investment landscape. It has to do with the idea that you can lower your costs significantly by coming on chain and therefore distributing to a wider base of investors, distributing your fund or your product, and therefore increasing your revenue. So let me, let me give you a, a really quick high level. Hopefully it's, it doesn't take too long, but it's super important, I think, for everyone to understand at this stage because it's completely reshaping the landscape. The model is such that there are roughly $300 trillion in assets globally. About half of those are owned by individuals, so about $150 trillion. And out of the $150 trillion owned by individuals, almost none of that is allocated to private assets, which are in the trillions of dollars, and alternatives. And, and the reason for that is largely due to, uh, in private equity, it's due to the 1010C. It's the 10-year lockup. It's 10 million uh, minimum investment, or it's 5 million generally, but 10, 5 or 10 million, and the function of capital calls. 
And so if you're an investor with a net worth of below 30 million, call it between one and 30 million, generally those investments aren't suitable for you. So you don't hold them in your portfolio. You hold like between a zero and 5% allocation. So the core of the argument is that by lowering the minimum, so let's say in the case of Hamilton Lane, uh, a $5 million minimum just became a $20,000 or $10,000 minimum. Now you have access as a product distributor to all of the people in that $1 million to $30 million bracket. And when they now go into their, call it their high net worth broker at HSBC or JP Morgan Chase, that individual will now say, Rich, assuming you're, you know, let's say that you're in this category. Uh, Rich, I would recommend you take a 20% allocation to private equity and alternative asset management. And if you think about the global model, that would imply a $30 trillion number. If you take everybody in that class from essentially 0% allocation to 20%, why would you take that allocation? It, one, it's a function of diversification. And two, of these are generally higher returning investment vehicles. Call it, you, you know, sometimes in the 12 to 15% rate versus whatever stocks have ever really been doing over the past decade or two. So, th so that would be the, the increase in revenue, right? The, the alternative investment managers see additional fees coming from the broadening of the distribution. And then third, if you think of uh, de-risking, you can look at what Siemens did. So Siemens, third largest company in Germany, they said, we took a bond on chain, bond issuance, and we took our settlement time from seven days to one day. Why that's important is you can think of the idea that Visa and MasterCard and cross-border payments and receivables take certain periods of days. And sometimes they're as high as like 28 days or, you know, a month to settle. And it, you can essentially take that down to atomic settlement, zero, zero settlement, or maybe one hour, or maybe even T plus one. But it's a dramatically better solution than tying up capital for X amount of hours or days or weeks to settle. So these, in aggregate, I would sum it up by saying blockchain represents an order of magnitude better solution in a lot of cases than the prior solution. And that, at its heart, is why it seems such extreme interest right now and extreme levels of adoption. Yeah, well put and, you know, great explanation of that. Um, and it is, you know, you got to operate at the speed of business, right? And business moves quite quick sometimes. When it comes to finances and tra trans uh, transferring funds, you know, across the world, you run into hiccups and, you know, cost savings, speed, the network, um, security, multiple security layers built into it on, you know, even outside of the standard encryption. Um, it makes for a really, really interesting proposition that almost is irresistible. Um and you you had a great term. I think I I heard you say it at some conference or whatnot. It was you're rewiring the banking industry, right, or the financial system, if you will. And I've heard this a few times, and it, it's to absolutely true that everything we know is changing, but it's changing for everything that you just mentioned, all the good points. Um, so that's really exciting, and it makes me wonder. Um, if there are any other, you know, there are naysayers all over the place. You know, Jamie Diamonds, like everyone in our Web3 world knows what his deal is. You know, he craps on Bitcoin so it goes down and he can stack more sats, right? We, we, we know his game now, right? He's been doing it for 
a very long time in the crypto world. Um, but besides that, who are, are you actually seeing naysayers in the financial institution, the traditional financial uh, world uh, that are just saying, hey, no, it's not for, it's not for us, um, you know, maybe down the road. Are you seeing naysayers? Yeah, there's massive, what we in the industry always throw out as FUD, right? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I'd say there's two types of people that would fall into the FUD camp. One is people that are outside. So they say, okay, crypto, haven't done the deep dive. I feel like there's a lot of room for money laundering and fraud and bad actors and things like that. The speculation, not going to touch it. I would say those are kind of the, for lack of a better word, I mean, I was one of them once. So take this with all humility, the less educated. The people that really know the tech very well, yet are still in the camp of FUD, I believe would say, great, you, you're telling me that it can do all these things, but why do we need blockchain to do that? And I think one good example is a, uh, an infrastructure player on Wall Street. They service like a massive percentage of, of Wall Street, kind of in the back office, or almost more like, I call it like in the basement, right? Like these guys are working on the pipes. It's like normal people don't even know that they're there and who they are, but the whole thing, the financial system needs them to run. And the people within that infrastructure would say, why do I need the blockchain? The challenge that they have is they have, call it like 23 ledgers. The blockchain would enable them to essentially go to one ledger and simplify their process, cut a bunch of costs. If you know the, the backbone of Wall Street, actually a lot of it's still manual. It's, it's wildly archaic, the system as it is now. But the reality is, if you had really motivated people to upgrade it, uh, you could probably do it without, I mean, to some degree, this is where the nuances come in. And it depends case by case. But there's probably a lot of it that could be done just by really focused, serious teams of tech people. But the reality is these solutions have been available for a while. And there's reasons that it, it hasn't been done. And so I think when people come along and say, okay, here's blockchain, here's an easy way, kind of plug and play situation to do it. Uh, and maybe there's also these other tangential benefits. That is for the first time getting the major players over the line to say, okay, now it's worth a multi-hundred dollar, hundred million dollar or multi-billion dollar investment it's going to take to upgrade my entire network. That's a little bit of it. And then, then I think there's also an aspect of FOMO that I would mention whereby some of the major core players will say, if I don't adopt this technology, somebody else will, and they will disintermediate me. So I have to. And it's, it's almost scary, like how big some of these players are. They're the biggest in the world that are looking at it exactly in this way. So while they might have that internal FUD, uh, the overriding fear is that we got to do this because we won't be relevant if we don't. Yeah. Yeah. All great points. And, you know, again, this is a topic that we can kind of go crazy on. Uh, you know, what people also have to realize is that once you're on a blockchain um, and you're utilizing, uh, you know, Web3 technologies, there's multiple layers you can add to everything you do. Every transaction can have a cause and effect. It could have tools, uh, automation tools, legal tools, security tools, you know, stacked on top of it, right at your fingertips and at the speed of the network, which is, is a beautiful thing. Um, now, you know, besides being, you know, one of the, the big boys out there, right? 
Polygon's been around for a while, right? There and there are multiple um, networks and, and blockchains out there with their own ecosystems and everything else. Why? What are some of the big highlights of of why someone would really like institutional investors or our banking systems? Why choose Polygon? What I think it's the tech. So I'm not gonna. I'm going to keep using that word FUD because I got on it, right? Pure uncertainty and doubt. I'm not going to FUD anybody else's solution because I think the plethora, plethora of blockchain solutions that have been created really just address different problems and they have different trade-offs. And even internally, we have kind of multiple products that, that make those trade-offs. I think why people choose Polygon is the reliability, dependability, speed, low cost, most important, because I think those are all table stakes now, every single blockchain in the, in the kind of mainstream has those elements. The most important for me is actually security. So you can now get that uh, speed and, and low cost and high throughput with taking very little in the way of trust assumptions. And you really do that for the first time through zero knowledge um, and the, what we call the, the CD, CDK stack chain development kit that we have. Awesome. And, um, you know, as far as, and the FUD is real, <laughs> it's all, it's always out there. And, you know, to your point, you, whether you're an institution or an individual for that matter, you want to go with, with, and work with partners that have been around the block for a while. They've really got a, a, a nice foundation, uh, within this new technology world. And it really isn't that scary. Right. So, um, you know, our audience, and including myself, would really like to understand, you know, to, to the point you can actually, you know, tell us who are the, some of the bigger financial institutions that you're working with right now? Because case studies are, are some of the best ways to sell this type of, you know, th these type of technologies. Who are you working with? And that is the best question. It's also the one that I can talk the least about because the big the big players uh, until they're ready to announce it is it's under NDA. It's a regulatory issue. They have to be very careful about what they say. But broadly speaking, I will tell you from my perspective, and we we really I think do a pretty good job of covering the global top fifty in terms of institutions and financial ecosystem players. Most, if not just about all of them, are coming in some way, shape, or form. And here's, here's the, the cool part of it. You're just not going to have to wait long to know who it is. Um, we tend to see the, because we're kind of at the intersection of all this stuff, we tend to see like the six to 12 month plan. And you're, you're just going to see so, some real excitement in the not too distant future. That's, a, that's about all I could say about that. Other than, of course, what's been publicly announced. Uh, if, if you're really interested in the institutional landscape to date, you want to look at what, um, you know, Securitize has done so far with KKR, which was done on Avalanche and Hamilton Lane. You want to look at what Libre is doing. They actually announced recently uh, with regards to, let's just say, a partnership with Nomura. Um, and then there's a couple other names mentioned in there, those being Brevin Howard and Hamilton Lane. And people like Franklin Templeton, Fidelity, like what they've said publicly, I think should be enough to get everybody really excited. Uh, but I think a lot of people are still waiting for the rubber to meet the road. They're waiting for like, okay, well, what are you guys actually doing that people are going to care about? 
And I'm going to suggest to the folks listening and the audience that you're not going to have that long to wait to uh, to understand more about really what's happening in the space. Yeah, and it's it's not if, it's when, right? So, um, you know, trust us, they're coming. Every, it, they're all in there. In fact, I've known for years because I've had friends in the um, Web3 development space uh, over many, many years, uh, way back, um, Fidelity really was starting to chip away and start these little offshoots and, um, you know, blockchain labs, if you will. And now they're one of the, probably one of the bigger players in this space. Uh, I know for sure, actually the oldest, you know, American institution, uh, financial institution, Fidelity is doing it. So, uh, you know, not your mom and pop anymore, uh, and everyone's jumping on. So now with that said, Often we're very focused on U.S. markets, whether it be NASDAQ, crypto, whatever it may be, or U.S. exchanges. What are your how? And again, you can't really go into too many names, but how is Polygon uh, seeing the European markets? It's almost easier because other markets outside of the U.S. are clearly more crypto forward than the current US regulatory regime. Mm. If you look at Europe, you have MICA or MICA, M-I-C-A. You have specific jurisdictions, which are, in my personal opinion, they're actually looking to beat the US. I think this is everybody's great jump ball opportunity to actually say, yep, we were way better than the United States and leaning into a certain technology. And they're taking advantage of that. There's places like Singapore, Dubai, Hong Kong that are way ahead of us here in terms of how they're thinking about this. If they haven't already released very crypto friendly regulation in some of those jurisdictions, it's, I, I mean, in my personal opinion, it's, it's getting a lot closer. So I think you're going to see some big unlocks coming out of these jurisdictions, actually, particularly in Europe in the next, call it three to six months, that will enable much more rapid crypto adoption than I think uh, we're going to see here in the U.S., but I'm always happy to be pleasantly surprised. I, that would actually be a great, um, you know, great gift for 2024 to see the U.S. actually surprise on the on the regulation front. But I'm not holding my breath; just personal opinion. Yeah, you know, U.S. regulations for, and this is this is no surprise to me, Colin. I hear this all the time, and they're like, "Yeah, we love doing what we're doing and building. Uh, we just it's so much easier to work with European partners." Uh, and we wish that we weren't as hamstrung as we are in the U.S. Um, you know, and it's and it, it's so um, counterintuitive to the American way, right? Our greatest export is innovation, and why would you want to hamstrung, you know, hamstring the the biggest innovation this world has seen in forever? <laughs> um, it it it's it kind of befuddles me and many many others, and it is very frustrating at a very high level, at a at a at a blockchain development level, uh, to a, a finance and regulation level, but also down to you know understanding your own personal finances and, and accounting, if you will. Uh, very confusing, and I wish um, that would smooth itself out a bit more. Um, you know. As we move on and, you know, uh, the genesis of uh, of Polygon was what, 2017? In the last six to seven years, um, 
as you've been, you know, the, the organization's been evolving, has your problem statement changed at all? How, what, what new challenges are you seeing as you push forward? Yeah, the problem statement really hasn't changed, but the mechanics of solving the problem have changed dramatically. It, it, it largely has to do with that idea of zero knowledge. But the core of it is, in my mind, you can't move billions and billions of dollars over blockchain rails without the highest level of security. And as an industry, we didn't really have that until recently. And, and, and I would argue with what Polygon 2.0 uh, vision and um, the aggregator layer that we're rolling out right now, until that was really available, you would have disaggregated liquidity with a bunch of different chains kind of doing their own thing. It's a user experience that nobody really wants. It's not user-friendly. And therefore, it's not something that would gain mass adoption, right? You can't have a billion... Everyone says, okay, we want to be the chain or we want to try to get to a billion users. Well, you can't have that with constant bridge hacks and a, a user experience where each time you want to go do something different on the chain, you have to kind of re-register and use a different kind of product. It'd be like the internet. Actually, this is, a, this is an example that came out of a podcast that Mark Boyron, um, Polygon CEO, did recently. But the idea was that if you were in 1998 and you said, okay, I'm going to get on the internet for the first time. And the two big apps at the time, I think, or two of them were eBay and Amazon. And you said, okay, I'm going to get on Amazon. I'm going to download the Amazon coin. And then I'm going to bridge over to eBay because I want to buy a cool hoodie on eBay. And it's going to take me X amount of time and my funds may get hacked. And once I get over there, I've, I've kind of got a different user experience. It's like, that's a user experience that would gain zero adoption, not, you know, not the internet as we know it today. And that's really what we have in blockchain today. We have that, you know, here's your Amazon token over here and here's your eBay token. And you got to figure out a way to interoperate. With, with the Polygon 2.0 vision, essentially all of that technology is abstracted. It's almost like a Web2 interface where you're using pools of liquidity on one chain to execute transactions on another. You don't even know you're bridging between chains. And the thing that makes that, call it the, the TCP IP of Web3 even possible, is really the vision that Polygon is working on um, that involves zero knowledge. And what I think everybody should be really focused on is that that aggregation layer, the ag layer, as we call it, because that's what really brings everything together, I think, for the first time for a very secure, user-friendly experience that can actually, that actually finally has a chance to gain mass adoption. All great points, Colin. And it, it, it is about interoperability, chains talking to other chains, conversions of, of, of currencies, um, you know, user experience from one platform to another. How do you swap and flip and do whatever? Uh, these are things that happen all the time. They happen to me, you know, doing all sorts of transactions on the blockchain these days. Um, and, it, you know, it, we have to think of it, you know, as two guys from New York, you, you think of it as if you're going to build a new infrastructure, new subway systems and roads, and communications and, and, you know, fiber optics and other technologies and smart cities, do it right. You know, build a, a thicker foundation, um, build the right tools so that people can fix problems or teams can fix problems along the way in the right, uh, in, in the right way um, and create a very 
seamless, and this is not for Polygon alone, it's for every Web3 company, is to kind of look at the road signs that are being developed now so that you can kind of not reinvent the wheel, but uh, take these road signs and actually make them very, very useful um, to to every every user, not just financial institutions. So all good points. Um, now, you know, you, you guys are, are pushing ahead pretty fast. Uh, what, and I know you can't go into too much about this, but what are you really excited about for, for Polygon in, in the next six months to a year? If yeah, part of it, yeah, I, I can say, I can give my high level view, certainly. Sitting as, as the head of institutional capital, of course, my excitement is institutional adoption. That's that's kind of what I, you know, that's kind of what brought me into the space. And I see the the rate of acceleration in that adoption just really up and to the right in the next three to six months. It's like now is the time when all the work that everybody did on the back end for the last two years is coming to the foreground. So that to me is super exciting. But I think the reality is everybody should be even more excited about unified liquidity across all the chains. I think you you had a situation in the past couple of years where you're like, I'm in, the, I'm a X maxi, I'm a this chain maxi, I'm a that chain maxi. Here's why I think these guys are doing the best work or these guys are doing the best work. And they were kind of almost, there was almost this antagonism among among the players. And to me, it never made any sense. To me, I was, I always think about building a bigger pie as opposed to like, we're going to take market share from these people or they're going to take market share from us. And I think with the new technology and the, the Polygon 2.0 ad layer, for the first time, we can actually connect all those chains. We get unified liquidity, which makes everybody's value proposition much, much better. And so for the first time, we're all going to be working together, like not just in, in spirit, but the actual technology will be such that chain-wise liquidity benefits me over here on ChainX. And so I'm cheering them on and I'm hoping they win and vice versa. Like they're cheering me on hoping I win because we enhance each other's liquidity in such a way that one-on-one -on -one makes four. Trying to explain it in layman's terms, hopefully that was a, a decent job. It's kind of like the first time that I put it in that way. But th that I think everybody in this space should be excited about because that's that's really where you get to the point where you get that nice, seamless user experience and you get all the liquidity and all the throughput that you need to make it a, a product that's so viable, it directly competes or exceeds with everything that's been built to date. And I think people have, have had the vision for so long. And now in 2024, I think that's the first time that elements of that vision really get realized. Yeah, 2024 is, um, it's, it's for many reasons, it's gonna be a pretty special year. And it's gonna be a year to remember. Um, and you're 100% right. You know, As you see uh, institutional adoption, by default, you know, over years, it's not just, you know, in the next week or two, we've been seeing a lot of excitement, of course, but as that institutional uh, adoption grows, so will, you know, the normie adoption, the, the everyday person, the smaller businesses will, will get into involved as well, because they're going to be, like it or not, behind the scenes, they'll be using some kind of digital assets or, or cryptography uh, in the near future. So very, very exciting. Um, and, um, you know, as we talk about adoption, right? And again, you know, this might not be 
you know, uh, on the top of everyone's minds, but it is for me. And for someone like yourself who comes from a, a pretty strict um, financial background, what are your thoughts? And again, no, not financial advice here, anyone. Um, but what are your thoughts on the BTC ETF, right? In the sense of adoption and the, the actual magnitude in which it's happening. Fantastic for the industry would be my my tagline there. For the first time, it allows institutions to adopt in a regulated manner. And I think that was the first uh, instance that needed to happen to bring all the other all the other instances over time that make this a mainstream product. So big the big idea with the Bitcoin ETF is that it was just a huge unlock for the industry. And I think now that that's happened, you are going to see unlock after unlock after unlock um, behind it, which I think will really get into all the things that you and I are really excited about. And I, sometimes I feel like we're maybe like a team of two, like kind of like nerdy guys thinking, you know what I think is super cool? I think if if every every small business saved two to three percent on their um what would it be? Call it on their top line. Like, I think that would be amazing. Like, I don't know if, if that would be celebrated in the streets, like winning the war. But like to me, you know, Visa and MasterCard and the, the, the process inherent in that is a two to 3% tax on, on all business globally. And blockchain actually solves for that. So for me and my like kind of finance nerdy, you know, from, from my angle, uh, I'm like, I want to see that happen. Like, I, you know, I, I'm sorry for the, you know, shareholders of Visa and MasterCard and some of the other infrastructure plays. And actually some of the banks get like a lot of that, uh, that fee as well. But I'm thinking, man, like if you can have mom and pop pocket that money as a kind of a capitalist in, in America, it's just so much better for the world. And for the economy. Yeah. And, you know, a, a lot of, you know, financial, uh, you know, pundits out there will say, hey, you know, it, it is a high risk asset, um, but allocate 1%. And to me, that's even pretty light. Uh, um, but it's a great starting point. Um, it offers a bit more freedom and movement and to your liquidity. I mean, you know, I, I think, yeah, seeing your mom and pop benefit from, from these things, uh, is huge. The every, every man, every woman, you know, kind of situation is a big deal. And the other thing that you touched on Colin is that, we're going to see product after product after product roll out new te new technologies to support new products. It becomes an industry, right? So, you know, a lot of, and you watch mainstream, you know, uh, financial shows or whatnot. And it's always, you know, they're, they're talking about, well, the coin's going up, it's going down, it's doing this, it's doing that. They don't understand that, you know, the future of, this it's not a a token it's not just a token it's an entire industry it's like that's becoming the bedrock it's the humans that are actually making this these protocols those are jobs that that's education that's new forms of education new new forms of jobs and it's really important and i like to sh you know shout it from the rooftops whenever i can is that there are tons and tons of very motivated individuals participating in this from development, finance, marketing, advertising, everything. People are being put, it's like a whole new economy. And that's what people don't really realize. So I, I am very bullish on the ETS. 
Um, you know, I, I have some questions about, you know, uh, the Black Rocks, the vanguards, you know, holding so much. Um, the only, the thing I will, will say is, um, you know, again, not financial advice, get in while you can, because what's going to happen is, is going to, there's going to be a supply run and it's already happening. So there's, there's going to be very limited supply in the future. Um, and, uh, it's definitely going to be a wild, a wild one to see what happens with this, but all good stuff though. I agree with you. Um, it's all positive momentum. Now talking about humans, talking about people making this new technology, um, I always like to kind of understand what teams are like global teams. Can you give us a little insight to that? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Um, and by the way, really quickly, I, I appreciate you hitting on the, the people element because if you think about how many jobs the internet created and how much innovation it unleashed over time, it's, it's one of the things that I think has made this the best time to be alive as a human being. So I, I look at that as well. I think about it and I think blockchain also has the potential to kind of unleash uh, those animal spirits and that kind of level of, of innovation in terms of global teams. What you need to sustain an organization like Polygon is highly self-driven, self-motivated people that are experts in their field and super passionate. And so it, it almost goes back, I think it was like Reed Hoffman, Netflix. It was the idea that you hire really smart people and let them go to work. That I think has to be the model for some of these kind of decentralized organizations, because you can't have a situation where you're the manager and you got your 10 guys in a room and you're, you're, you know, you're tasked with like making sure that they do their work, Like that would never work in, in a space like this. You have to have people that are wake up super driven to contribute as much as they can. And they almost do it. It's not like anybody would do it regardless of economics, but they almost do it because they're super passionate about it and super driven. So hopefully that was a, a somewhat coherent answer in terms of what a, what a culture would look like and what a team would look like that is as decentralized as, as I think most of the teams in the blockchain space are. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it is about these self-motivated people. And, it, and it, once you realize that, wow, we can reinvent things, um, there's a lot of runway to, to create new products and services or do them in a different way that's more efficient. People get excited because they're Ultimately, humans are put on this earth. We solve problems, whether it's in a family or in a business. It's about solving problems. And when you have new tools that are very fluid uh, and robust, it, it just adds that that extra extra excitement. And to a few other points that you brought up, um, this is a new. Uh, the reason why I like to bring up workforce and humans is because it is it is new, right? Um, and the one thing I love about Web3, and you brought this up earlier, you know, you're happy for your competitors. You know, you're actually, you know, in, in a lot of cases, you're educating each other. Uh, I see it every day. And the only way you're going to do it is in a very open and collaborative uh, way with your partners and or competitors. Uh, you all want to do the right thing. There is enough space. It's not like a, a huge race, uh, a, a land grab uh, right now. Um, 
but everyone needs to cooperate and 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 to me that's the kind of special part of of the blockchain the special part of web3 is the collaboration and, and you're creating fabric together so it's a beautiful thing um and it's good to hear that now as we as we wind down a little bit colin um where do you guys have any conferences coming up or that you might be at that are our audiences might, you know, enjoy, you know, participating in or, and or collaborate or join up there. Yeah, absolutely. We tend to try to be involved in all of the major uh, developer conferences around the world. So ETH Denver is next week. We will be at DAS and uh, Digital Asset Summit in London. We are always have a big presence at Token 2049, uh, Consensus, Permissionless. All of these places are, are places we need to be in part because the biggest strength I would say of, of any blockchain protocol is actually listening to the users. And so if you're going to build, call it the best tech, the one that's most usable, you really have to be out there in the field actually engaging with uh, the developer base. And so, so that's something that we're one super passionate about, but, but two also super focused on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you brought up something near and dear to my heart being a, you know, a, I come from a branding and design background, but also, a usability uh, background. And one of the key things is, you know, you're excited to design and build something, but one of the key ingredients is listening, right? So I think the, to your point, the conferences are a great place to actually meet human beings, listen to them. What problems do you have? How can we help you solve them? Um, it's a wonderful thing. It's not just this, you know, blowout party that uh, many of them turn into. Um, so that's really refreshing. And I always love to hear that. Um, now where can, uh, whether I'm a developer, I'm a newbie, uh, I'm a seasoned veteran of blockchain technologies. Where can I learn more about Polygon? Polygon.technology. That's the website. There's a lot of information on there. And of course, you can also follow any of the the larger uh, team members within Polygon on socials. We try to be very active there, uh, both on Twitter and on LinkedIn, uh, just to really keep educating people about the technology. Yeah. And uh, another good point, you know, everyone needs to be front and center. Well, you and I talked about this off camera for a little bit. You, you know, by default, you actually have to be present because back in the day in the ICO days, uh, what a disaster, there was no one on websites. There was no one at conferences. They were just, you know, shilling bogus uh, vaporware. Um, so it's become even more important that, you know, senior level engineers and managers and CTOs and CEOs ever present. And I always, you know, give a big thumbs up to the organizations that put their teams forward uh, in that way. Uh, Colin, this has been really good, really educational really fun um we'd love to have you back and other members of the polygon team of course uh on the podcast um but uh we we really thank you for, for joining us today thanks so much rich it's been a pleasure